Hey, good day, everybody. It's so good to be with you today. Um, and I thank you for listening uh, to our message today. And uh, first of all, before I get started, let me say Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And I trust that you are being very blessed today and being spoiled. I know there's also moms and ladies that may have experienced some loss and difficulties around motherhood. And I pray for you also that you will experience the just the comfort of the Lord today. But we celebrate our mothers. We're so thankful to you, each and every one, and for the amazing role that you play in the lives of your loved ones and of others also. So may you be very, very blessed today. Well, today you're joining us and we're starting a new series uh, that is entitled Freedom to Serve God. And this series is going to be based on the book of Exodus. And uh, we're going to take a journey through the book of Exodus over the next seven weeks. And uh, the angle we're going to take looking at the book of Exodus is uh, lessons that we can learn from the book of Exodus about how to be God's people that represent him in the world that we are living in. Uh, but before I share the word, I'd like to encourage you, if it's possible for you, um, connect with us in some way. Uh, drop us a message at talk to us at hatfield.co.za if you listen to this message today and just tell us uh, where you're from, where you're listening to it, and uh, if it has any value and meaning for you, it'll be so great to just be aware of the people that are joining us um, in this broadcast. Um, the book of Exodus is a fantastic book. I, th I think for my, those of us that have been Christians since uh, perhaps our children's days would would know the book of Exodus. It features a lot in children's Bible stories and in the children's Bible because there's so many fantastic events and miracles and big things that happen in the book of Exodus. But we have to remember that the book of Exodus is very early on in the Bible and it's actually a very early uh, part of the revelation of who God is and God making himself known. And the book of Exodus is a lot uh, of revelation of who God is and um, him introducing himself, people getting to know him, people like Moses and the people of Israel and the other nations that got to know about this God and who this God is. The book of Exodus, the big idea of the book of Exodus is actually based on that which we find in Genesis already. And particularly uh, when God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 22 verse 18, we read the following, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So God made this promise to Abraham that through him, his descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that was the the big idea that God was working towards, that God is setting up, that all nations will know him. All nations will know his goodness. All nations would be able to have a relationship with him. So this is what God is working towards. And I want to say to you today, we must remember that that work that started in Genesis and that is further built on in Exodus, as we will look at it today, is the same work that you and I are still part of today. It's the same big idea. It's the same thing that God is doing in our time, in our age, is God is wanting to let all nations know him and be blessed in him. And if you think about the nations of the earth and think about the news and what's going on in Ukraine with Russia, and if you, if you think about just the struggles that are being found in so many places, God's idea is that all nations will know him and be blessed in him. And you and I have a part to play in that. You and I are the continuation today of that which has started with Abraham in Genesis and continued through in the book 
of Exodus. In Genesis 17 verse 7, we also read this. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And this was the covenant. Uh, Whenever God wanted to establish a relationship, he made a covenant, which is like a contractual kind of agreement. And God made a covenant with Abraham and that was lived out in the people of Israel, that he would be their God and that they would be his people and that he will live among them. We see this repeated in Exodus 6 verse 7, uh, where God says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. God is making himself known to a people. First of all, God made himself known to Abraham. And through Abraham, he raised up a family and revealed himself to that family. And through that family, God is making himself known to a nation, the nation of Israel, so that through that nation, he can make himself known to all other nations. So that his dealings with the nation of Israel, his revelation to the nation of Israel, we must always remember, is not just for the nation of Israel. It is so that they can reflect who God is, so that others can look at them and say, wow, this is the God of all gods. This is the King of Kings, and we want to know this God. And so God is busy working with the nation of Israel and revealing himself to them and through them. And isn't that exactly the same as what's going on in your life and my life? We are getting to know God, and through us, others can get to know him also. So as we look at the unfolding of the story of the Israelites, as we come into Exodus, we find them in a difficult place. We find them in a place that after developments and events that happened, and um, which many of you will understand, I don't have time to go into that today. They are now in, in, in Egypt and they are slaves. This nation that God has said, I will bless, finds themselves in a very difficult place where they are actually not being blessed but in slavery. We read in Exodus 1 verse 6 to 10. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies to fight against us and leave the country. So we see here that there is a sign of the blessing and the fulfilling of the promise that God made to Abraham on the Israelites. Remember, the promise was that your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the shores of the sea. And here we see that busy happening. They are being blessed in terms of their numbers. They are growing. They are becoming more and more people. They're becoming a noteworthy nation, a significant nation, a group of people with numbers so that when God blesses them, it it has actually got some scope and, and some weight to it. That part is being fulfilled, but being enslaved, they are not seeing the blessing. 
and um, the blessing of God growing in them at that time. But isn't it amazing how often when we are in our most difficult time, that's actually when God is busy setting things up so that his blessing can be known by us, so that his blessing can be revealed to us. They would not know God as a savior if they weren't in trouble first, if they didn't need salvation. They couldn't know God as the one that would set them free from slavery if they weren't slaves in the first place. And this is what God says, that I that that he would make known through them that he is a savior. But but Pharaoh is starting to notice that they're becoming too many and he's um he's he's seeing that there's there's trouble that's brewing. The plot is thickening. And you know in any good story if you watch a movie or read a good book there's always the plot, there's the villain and there's the hero. In our story here the plot is that God wants to raise up a nation to bless and through them bless all the nations of the earth. The villain is Pharaoh that represents the world system and sin and bondage to sin and slavery to both our personal sin and the sin of the system of this world. And Pharaoh is resisting that which was God's plan for them. Pharaoh actually thinks that God's plan doesn't has no value, has no merit, because he has his own plans for the nation of Israel. And we'll see how he says his plans for Israel is the plan that should be followed, not God's plan for them. And then God is going to raise up a hero where in our story here, Moses is going to be the hero, the one sent to deliver Israel and to bring them in line with the plans of God. And I want to say to you, uh, I think of that in our own lives. We, each of us, we are living a story. There's a plot. The plot of our lives are the same. We are, we are saved by God from sin. We are redeemed. We have been bought back with a price so that God can bless us. And through us, others may get to know him and be blessed in him. But we have an enemy that rises up against us, that comes to steal, kill and destroy, that wants to hold us back, that wants to steal us for his purposes, that wants to make sure our lives are not lived for God's purposes, but for his purposes and, and actually thinks that his plan for us is the plan that we should follow. But then God has raised up a hero and our hero is, is the Lord Jesus. It has been our savior that saves us from the plan of the enemy and brings us back in line by the power of the Holy Spirit to live the lives that God has wanted us to live, to live the lives of abundance that becomes a life that can be a blessing to all nations. But Israel is finding themselves in this conflict. And as they are seeing the blessing of God beginning to express itself in their numbers, Pharaoh notices this and evil begins to arise. Evil is being stirred in the heart of Pharaoh. And in Exodus 1 from verse 11 to 14, we read the following. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar with all kinds of work in the fields. And all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Here we see that as, as the nation of Israel is growing, the opposition strengthens against them. And we, this is a time where there was no uh, uh, rights of workers. I mean, we just celebrated Workers' Day the other day. There was, no, there was no looking after the workers and making sure that they had a, you know, a, a, a work week that was good and that they had 
healthcare and protection and health and safety and labor law, none of that applied to the Israelites. All the Pharaoh does is he just tightens the screws on them. And he's actually being vindictive against them. And he is actually trying to prove a point. And he's threatened by them and wants to overpower them. And he's abusing his power to subdue them and to to belittle them, to make them nothing, to to show that they have no value other than just building. They, They were nothing more than machines to him. And he's breaking down their dignity, breaking down their value. So here we have this nation that is spoken of by God as his beloved people that he wants to bless, that he wants to raise up and love them. And on the, and, but they are experiencing an, an evil arising against them and, and Pharaoh oppressing them. And I want to say that often happens to us in this world, isn't it? We are the people of God that God wants to bless, yet evil arises against us. And, the, and we must make no mistake and think the enemy is, is any better than Pharaoh. In fact, he's worse than Pharaoh. Satan is worse than Pharaoh in that he wants to grind us to the dust. He wants to belittle us. He wants to steal all our dignity. He steal, kills, and destroys. He wants to destroy God and the people of God. And so he's coming against us like Pharaoh came against the Israelites. But the story continues as the conflict is brewing, as God is not just going to stand still and allow this. And in verse 15 of Exodus 1, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew woman during childbirth on their delivery stool, if you see that baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not want the king did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? Can you see there's two authorities, two kingdoms that are starting to oppose one another and it's becoming visible that are, that are playing into this situation now, that the conflict is brewing between these two kingdoms, Pharaoh and his authority. And he believed he had the authority to, to kill all the male boys of the Israelites. They were belongings of his. They, they were not people. They were machines. And if he wanted to kill them, he could do that to, to bring a halt to the growth of the nation of Israel, to stop and stifle their growth for a period of time. He was, he was doing some social engineering, some birth control. He was saying, let's stop their development, but in such a horrible, horrible way. Imagine the, the national trauma that that would bring if all the male sons, the future, the, the future heritage of the nation of Israel would be destroyed and killed. But the midwife women that were recognizing a different authority, and that was the authority of God. They feared God. They believed that this wasn't the right thing to do. This was not a good command. This was an evil command, and therefore they disobeyed Pharaoh, and that this started to bring them into conflict with Pharaoh. In verse 18, then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife arrived. So God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives fear God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born must be thrown into the Nile, but let every girl live. So Pharaoh just steps up his evil and becomes exceedingly evil. When his first plan isn't working of killing the boys at birth, he decides that he's going to kill them, even though they may be, Toddlers already, that 
they have parents and they're part of a family and a bond has formed and love has formed in these relationships between parents. He, he does an exceedingly evil thing and he says, grab them, take them away from their families and throw them in the Nile River. What a tragedy, what trauma, what difficulty that must have been. Just imagine yourself if, if, uh, if in our city that had to happen where suddenly the, the boys, all the boys of three years old roundabout would be taken from their homes and, and, and thrown into a river and to be killed. What a tragedy. What evil that Pharaoh is plotting against God. And his evil is stirring and is rising and is growing because he wants to prove that he has the authority over God. And that's the world system that we live in. That when it's threatened by godly power and godly truth and God's authority, it can become so evil. That's what we saw happen with Jesus. That's what we saw happen with Daniel. That's what we saw happen in Esther. That, that, that evil arises when it's challenged by God and, and becomes exceedingly evil. But God has a plan. And do you know how the story unfolds that one of these babies that was supposed to be killed is, is ultimately saved as their parents put him in a basket and put him on the Nile and he's rescued by the very princess of Egypt, the daughter of Pharaoh. And the, the house that is destroying the babies actually in, a, in an irony and a twist that only God could think of uh, becomes the safe place, the place where, where Moses is raised up. Uh, ultimately, Moses flees from Egypt and now finds himself in the desert and he's looking after the sheep and it's on that day where he, he now personally encounters God as God talks to him through the burning bush. And you know, when burning bushes talk, you have to pay attention. I wonder if you've had some burning bushes experiences in your life where, where God speaks to you and God comes to you and he says, I have a plan for your life. I have a mission. There's a bigger concern than just your life. Um, I've certainly had that moment in my life and I know many that have had those moments and and I trust that there's a, a moment like that in your life, if you haven't experienced it yet, that will happen where God meets with you and says there's a bigger plan. There's a bigger purpose than you just being blessed and enjoying life in him. It's wonderful to be blessed by God and God does want to bless you. But we have to remember that God's blessing is so that through you he can bless others. And that sometimes can cause you challenges and cause you in a place, put you in a place where you are in, in, in the front line, in, in conflict with the kingdom of the enemy and become a, an instrument of God to overpower the enemy and, and fight the battles on his behalf. And that's what Moses is about to experience. In Exodus 3, verse 7 to 10, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites out of Egypt. God says, I have heard the cries of my people. I've seen the injustice. I've seen the suffering and I'm going to act. I'm going to do something about this, Moses. And you are the vehicle that I'm going to use. You are the person that is going to act on my behalf. You are going to step in and be the intercessor that will step into the breach. And that will be the person through whom I will deliver my people. God speaks to Moses. But Moses says, who am I, Lord, 
Who am I that you can send me? I'm a nobody in, in verse 11 of Exodus 3. But Moses said to God, who am I that you, I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that as uh, is, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Uh, it, later on in this series, we're going to have a look at how often we feel like that. That we say, Lord, who am I that you can send me into this world? Who am I that you can send me onto my front line? Who am I that you can use me to bring salvation, to see your kingdom come? And we often struggle with that. But you and I have to remember that God says, I will be with you. So the question is not so much, who am I? The question is, who is God? Who is this God that sends Moses? The, the success of the mission didn't depend on Moses as much as it depended on God. He had a role to play, but the success was because God would guarantee it. God would be the one that sends Moses and that will make this happen. And, uh, in verse 13, to, we, we carry on and we read where, where God res, continues to respond to Mo, uh, Moses and Moses questions God. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your forefathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say, tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And you see how God is is reintroducing himself to the Israelites. And he's saying to, to Moses, this is who I am. He's giving himself He's giving a revelation to Moses about who God is, that he is the one by whom all other things is defined and finds its meaning and purpose. And he is the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's saying to Moses, I'm the God of your forefathers, and I will be the God of your descendants. You can go to them and tell them that I am who I am is with you and has sent you and to go and bring freedom to the Israelites. So God sends Moses and Moses goes, but Moses, the representative of God, our hero, has a head-on collision with the, the, the villain of the story, which is Pharaoh. And we see the arrogance of Pharaoh as Moses goes to Pharaoh and he wants to bring the message of God to let God's people go to Pharaoh because God is claiming the Israelites as his own. And he's saying, these are my people, Pharaoh. They're not your people. But Pharaoh says, no, they're my people. They're not God's people. They belong to me. They are my slaves. And in Exodus 5, verse 1 to 2, afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. You see, Pharaoh was God. They had a view in the Egyptians at that point that Pharaoh was God. He was he was the demagogue. He was the one that ruled as God. And so Pharaoh is saying, Who is this God? Who is this one claiming to be God? I'm God. Don't come to me with your claims of a God. This God is not real. This God, I don't know him. He doesn't have power. I'm God. And can you see the arrogance of Pharaoh as he sets himself up and this battle is about to intensify between God, the real God, and the one that claims and assumes to be God. And there can only be one winner because there can only be one God. So in verse 6, 
Now that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks. And before, don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. This is what they that why they are crying out let us go and sacrifice to our god make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies pharaoh follows a strategy where he says man let's just just keep them more busy so they don't have time to think about god and possibly wanting to worship god let's make it harder for them so make them go and cut their own straw don't give it to them and in this way he's just doubling their workload and and expecting longer hours from them and being harsher on them, being so unfair. But that is all driven by his desire to and his arrogance to say, I am God, there is no other God. Then the Lord said to Moses in verse uh, Exodus 6, verse 1 to 8, the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he, he, and he, will not, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as the God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan when they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free, free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you out of the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it, it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. The Israelites may have been wondering, because they are enslaved and under the power of Pharaoh, who is this God that they've heard reference to? Is he really a God? Um, but perhaps Pharaoh is God. Pharaoh is so powerful that he must be God. Pharaoh is so all-consuming. He is so harsh and destructive to them and, and that he must be God. But God now says to them, I am God. And I promised your forefathers that I will give you a land of your own, the land of Canaan. And I am going to do this, God says. I have not forgotten my promise. I am the Lord. Can you see this, this conflict that is being driven between two kingdoms. And God is saying, I will prove to you, I will show to you that I am God and not Pharaoh. And the way God is going to do that is through the 10 plagues. And, and, and so God brings about the, the 10 plagues after um, the meeting of the greatest staff meeting that has ever happened um, in, in all of history. Um, staff meetings can be boring things, but this was not a boring staff meeting. The staff meeting I'm referring to, obviously, is in Exodus seven, where uh, in later in Exodus six, where where God Moses comes before Pharaoh, and then his staff is turned into a snake, and then the staff of the of the magicians are turned into a snake, and Moses a snake eats their snake, the greatest staff meeting ever. And after that, God then uh, says the following in Exodus seven verse thirteen. He says, Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. And this issue of the hard heart of Pharaoh is something important for us to understand. Um, there's times where it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But there's more times where it speaks about in the story that Pharaoh's heart was hard and he hardened his own heart. We have to, this wasn't God 
taking a Pharaoh that was kind and gentle and had a disposition towards God and was interested in God. This was a prideful, arrogant, evil Pharaoh that set his heart against God. God just allowed the hardness of his heart to be even harder and to become set and to and to continue for and and God used the hardness of his heart for his purposes his purpose of showing that he is the one and only true God that Pharaoh is not God and we can be so thankful that Pharaoh is not God that the system of this world is not God that Satan is not God because he would just act like Pharaoh did towards the Israelites and make their lives miserable and be so evil towards them our God is a loving God a caring God and he showed his mercy and his and his kindness even to pharaoh and the egyptians throughout the 10 plagues the plagues that were so horrible that after every plague pharaoh would uh, show the hardness of his heart and some of the plagues like the like the frogs and others that pharaoh would cry out and say god forgive me because i have sinned against you and then ask moses to pray and moses would pray and and god would be kind and god would stop the plague and and because of Moses uh, uh, Pharaoh's repentance and then Pharaoh would turn around and say no I've changed my mind and and harden his heart even more and that's the the system of the world the systems of the world it's hard is hard against God our front line on your front line and my front line we will encounter the hardness of the of the hearts of 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 those that are in authority and of people that set themselves against God, people that want their own rulership, people that want to be their own gods or people that worship their idols. And uh, you can read up, I don't have time to talk about it, but how the, the plagues were a direct confrontation to some of the major gods of the Egyptians. And it was God slowly de- de- just deconstructing their ideas about who is God and what God is, both for the sake of the Israelites and the Egyptians. God was beginning to break down the authority and the the power, uh, the the, the perceived power of the Egyptians and the gods that they were worshiping. And God was saying, there's another God. There's a bigger God. There's a stronger God. There's a greater God than the God of the Egyptians. But Pharaoh wouldn't listen. Pharaoh wouldn't bow to it. And ultimately, God had to, to do that most horrible of plagues when the eldest born of all the Egyptians would die. In fact, anybody's child would die. The oldest son would die um, if they didn't put the Passover lamb blood on the lintels. And uh, that became the, the final straw that, that ultimately caused Pharaoh to say, I'm going to let the people go. But that was the hardness of Pharaoh's heart that brought it to that place where God had to do that to that level was the only way he could ultimately get Pharaoh to, for a moment at least, give in and chase and his heart be so hurt um, and so affected by the loss of the of the oldest sons that he rejected the nation of Israel and he, he said that they must go. But soon his heart changed again. In Exodus 14, verse 8 to 9, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptian, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposed to Baal-Zephon. And even after that great trauma and despair of the death of the oldest born, Pharaoh still, his heart is hardened and he says, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to, I'm going to show in one final push 
that I am the God and that no God is going to take the Israelites away from me. So he pursues them uh, up to the Red Sea. And uh, we know the story that happened there. Um, and the people were afraid as they saw the Egyptians come and they thought that God just took them out to the desert to be killed by the Red Sea. But Moses responds in Exodus 14 verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And in a series, we're going to talk about how God fights for us and how God fights through us so that the world system will be overcome by our God. The kingdom of Jesus will be established and will reign and how you can be the, the, the instrument of God on your mission front, your front line to be used by God to see his kingdom come, that God will cause the the, the system of the world to collapse and to be destroyed like in a, in a Red Sea that it may feel like it's impossible in your workplace or in your family where, where it seems like Satan is having his way and he's ruling and injustice is being done and, and people are being treated unfairly. But God says, my will will be done. We're not fighting against people. We are fighting against the spirit. Our battle is not flesh and blood, but against the spirit of this age against the demonic powers. And God says, through you, I will establish my kingdom and I will see people set free. So therefore, in Exodus 14, verse 29, the last scripture I want to read today. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and on their left. The day the Lord saved Israel from the, that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Something broke in that moment. Something changed. Something shifted in the spiritual realm. A significant uh, shift took place. Before that, the people all believed that the unchallenged God, the power of the world was Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But now that was broken. And now they could begin to believe in God and in his servants and could be led and go forth into uh, to possess the promised land. And I want to say to you, it is our privilege to be those that believe in God, that knows that there is a God in this world, and it is not the God of this world. It is not Satan. It is not his demonic forces. It is not the system of the world, but it is our God, and we can trust in him and, and take possession of the promised land and see his kingdom come. And so my prayer for you is that you will go forth, that you will go forth into the places where God is sending you into your front line, and that you will go forth with the victory and see the kingdom of this world come to nothing. So over the next six weeks, we're going to talk about how God uses us and, and equips us. We're going to talk about hearing God's call in our, on our front lines. We're going to talk about seeing God's deliverance through us in our front lines. We're going to talk about trusting God for his provision. We're going to talk about becoming God's people, being a community of faith. We're going to talk about building God's dwelling place on our front lines. And we're going to talk about encountering God's presence on our front line. And so join us as we trust the Lord to do the same work as he did for the continuation of that which he did with the, with the Israelites um, in Egypt. He will do for us in this time and in this place that we live. Let us pray together. Father, I thank you for every person joining me today. 
uh, in this broadcast. I, I thank you for everyone that is a worker that you have raised up that you are positioning, that you are wanting to bless and bless others and the nations of the earth through them. And I pray that faith will arise in them, that we can go forth and take hold of our promised land, the land that you have given us to possess for the sake of your kingdom and so that, your, so that other people and the nations can live under the grace and the power and the goodness of your rulership. And I pray that for every one of us, even those that may feel deflated, may feel, may ask the question, is there really a God that cares, that may feel like they are being overpowered by Satan and living under the power of Satan, that there would be a faith that would rise in us to say, I can trust in God and we can see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for that. Be with us by your spirit in the name of Jesus. We trust you. I'm going to ask you also that you would with us read the book of Exodus for this, uh, these next six weeks uh, on our social media pages at Hatfield and our website at hatfield.co.za. Uh, you will find a, a reading plan that we're going to be putting out. And as a community together, we're going to read the book of Exodus and be stirred by God's grace and God's power. Thank you for joining me today. May the Lord bless you today and in this week as you go into your front line. Amen.